today on Laura Lynn and Friends. In fact, Health Canada has publications that they put out 20 years ago that basically state that once you have a pandemic, the use of masks is, is useless. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of the last days. I'm Laura Lynn Tyler-Thompson, and I'm very happy to be with you today. We've got a great guest. It's Friday. We like to call it Fun Friday around here, not because anything's really much fun these days, but, um, well, in a way, it kind of is. Like, I do enjoy the giggles at what is going on in the United States of America as uh, the chaos just seems to be causing such division and a whole lot of um, <laughs> craziness going on. And then I put up something, you know, on my Facebook uh, regarding Biden. It was a little meme and I seem to be like knocked off of there. So y'all, I got, I'm banned again on, on Facebook. I don't know why they've left up yesterday's broadcast, although they seem to say that they had a problem with it, which yesterday was so minor. I don't even know. Um, but, uh, I guess they just don't really like the memes of Biden that we've got going on. And it's just a, it's just a bit of fun to watch, um, the wicked get a little bit of justice here and there. And so we pray for more of that. This is my dad. So, you know, every day um, I read from his Bible and I found his uh, in loving memory of David Freeman. And oh, and on the inside, there's pictures of me when I was young and we were in the Arctic on that top one there. Uh, no, on the, the top one, we're in Africa, of course. And then we were in the Arctic on the bottom one. So we went from the oven to the freezer uh, crossing the equator. So I like to read from my dad's Bible every day because he underlined it from stem to stern. And I like to see what is important. And today it fell open to Numbers 14, uh, verse 21, where it says, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Amen. So we might wonder if it's really filled with his glory when all of these evil people seem to be getting away with all of their stuff. But I'm kind of convinced that if we keep on telling the truth, at the very least, we save ourselves. At the very least, we get into some sort of arc that carries us through the crisis that we're experiencing. We protect ourselves. We protect our families. Because why? Because we tell the truth. And we shamelessly declare that we will not be stopped or silenced. We will not be uncourageous. Um, there's nothing worse than a coward, is there? Someone who knows the truth and just is so petrified of being able to use their God-given voice to say a few things that matter to humanity. And uh, we're going to show a clip very shortly on how the BBC... Um, is finally actually beginning to reveal the truth. The mainstream media is finding it hard to keep silent. Now that's a real miracle. That's a Friday miracle for us. But before we get to that, could we look at this? This is an interesting story. Do any of you know more about this? So this is, um, so a woman on what happened to Stephanie Warriner? In May 2020, at Toronto General Hospital, a lobby security camera captured only part of what happened that left Danielle Stephanie Warriner dead after a physical altercation with security guards. An Ontario judge struck the trial from the docket 
on November 22, 2022. Now, why is this being talked about now, do you think, JT? It's a strange story, right? Because, yeah, th so this is CBC um, reporting on this January 12th, 2023. Yeah, I want to see the video. Okay, so this lady's in blue against the wall. See her there? Once she gets grabbed, oh, look, the camera looks away. It's a security camera turning away from an incident. We don't see what happens and she's dead. We don't know if she's dead there. She's unconscious for sure. She's not moving at all. And they take her away and she dies, right? Days later, Shane says. So this is kind of um, just an, an interesting thing and being sort of highlighted now. Um, wow, right? And, and then the courts strike it from the docket. Uh, you know, just weird. All right. So the other thing I just want to show you before we are going to quickly get to our guest today, we're very honored to have him here with us. Um, the BBC, oh, you don't think this, but, but the BBC is airing it. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Well, what I'm going to announce then right now, we don't think we should put it on YouTube, even though the BBC is beginning to tell the truth. We don't know if YouTube's ready. <laughs> so <laughs> let's air it. Let's do it later then. So what we'll do then is I'm going to invite uh, our guest on um, and we'll do that before we get off of uh, YouTube. But we want to let all of you know that we are on Rumble right now. You go to rumble.com and you can type my name in, Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. It will come up with the, the show that we're doing right now. Or you can scroll down and in the comments of the show, the description of the show that you're watching right now on YouTube or in the chat, in the chat. Um, it's probably in the description too, huh? No? This is the the That's the direct link to the show is in the chat for you at YouTube and you can click on it. It'll take you right to rumble where we are going to rumble today with some truth and it is going to be fantastic. Um, we're going to let you go because what we're about to show, uh, the BBC might be ready for it barely, but we don't know if YouTube is so bye-bye. All right, so let's go to this BBC video and see uh, the encouraging part of all of this is that uh, Dr. Asim Malhotra shares concerns about excess deaths being caused by the COVID mRNA vaccines and calls for a complete suspension of COVID mRNA uh, vaxes and they air it. Shocking. Take a look. On top of that, Luguesa, one of the reasons I think this is coming to the news just now is obviously there's been a big concern uh, recently around excess deaths. Now, the British Heart Foundation have said certainly during the pandemic or since the pandemic, there's been 30,000 excess deaths specifically due to coronary artery disease. That's my area of expertise. And they're trying to figure out what's causing it. Analysis I've done, and even Carl Hennigan, the director of Central Evidence-Based Medicine Oxford, suggests that statin 
pills prescription hasn't reduced since the pandemic. So it's unlikely to be a cause. But what is almost certainly, and I, if you allow me to say this, Lequesa, what I, my own research has found is that the COVID mRNA vaccines do carry a cardiovascular risk. And um, I've actually called for the suspension of this pending an inquiry because there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment about what's causing the excess deaths. Some of it will be ambulance delays. My own father, it was reported on BBC News in um, late 2021, uh, I was the first to actually highlight the ambulance delays because my own father suffered a cardiac arrest at home and the ambulance took 30 minutes. And when his post-mortem came out, he had very severe coronary artery disease, which is unexplainable. I then published in a peer-reviewed journal, they accepted my findings that the likely cause of his death was two doses of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine he had six months earlier. So what you're saying in terms of the mRNA link to cardiovascular risk, is that that is a proven, it's been proven medically, has it, scientifically? Yeah, yes, Lequesta. So in medicine, you know, in any research that we do, it's very difficult to always be absolutely conclusive. So we mm. go on like and there are lots of data now. The original trials of Pfizer and Moderna with mRNA vaccines showed, and I just want to put this in absolute terms because we don't want to scare people unnecessarily, mm. but the absolute risk of serious adverse events was at least one in 800. Okay. Uh, and, and a lot of those are cardiovascular. And then it, you were more likely in those trials to suffer a serious adverse event than to be hospitalized All with right. COVID early on. We should be reassured that Omicron and what's circulating is really no worse than the flu. And this is really time to pause the vaccine rollout and to really okay. investigate this properly. So the excess deaths is what definitely uh, is becoming very interesting to everybody worldwide, and you can't deny it. Um, we're seeing and hearing every day famous people, celebrities, athletes, uh, stars, um, young people. Dr. Mackis in Canada has been talking about uh, the deaths, excess deaths of doctors in Canada, and um, and it the, the numbers are are all there. So. The last thing I want to show you before we go to our guest is that somebody yesterday posted after uh, a tweet we put up from um, Dr. Shoemaker, Chris Shoemaker, about kids. Um, they posted the British Columbia, they said it was the British Columbia stats on total excess mortality. You can see there, okay? So we've got March 2020, total excess mortality 4.2%, total excess births one, minus 1.5%. Um, so as we go down to June 2021, we then go up to 11.3%. So what, what sort of happened here? I know, I think it was December of 2020. Wow, look at that in December. Um, that's when, wasn't that the first rollout of the, the vaccinations? believe it was like December, January. Um, January was pretty good for some reason. Uh, but look what happens. The, the birth rate goes down minus 10.9%. And then in December of 2020, 15.2% excess deaths. So this first row of numbers, <coughs> excuse me, is excess deaths. So by the time you get to December 2022, we've got 18.7%. November 2022, this is just last month, we have an excess death rate of 21.3%. This gentleman was saying that this is in British Columbia. If anyone can give, uh, I just wanted to put it up here because we were talking about this. And then birth rates. 
So we've been up to minus 8.7% in September, and in November it was minus 3.8% birth rates. Uh, what I heard was that uh, there's a doula in British Columbia, and she was saying um, that the doulas are reporting a lot of stillborns. And I've asked if she could come on, we would hide her face and uh, alter her voice to see if we can get some truth to what is really happening here. All right, I want to bring on our guest. Uh, we're very honored to have him. He is a full professor in the Department of Medicine and Division of Neurology at the University of British Columbia, where he's been on faculty since 1988. Uh, he was one of the founding senior scientists of the Biomedical Research Center at UBC in 1987. He holds a Bachelor of Science uh, honors uh, from 1979 and a PhD he got in 1982. He has degrees in biochemistry from, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, I lost my spot on this page here. He has a degree in biochemistry from UBC and his postdoctoral training was at the University of Dundee with Sir Philip Cohen. He is highly educated, trained, and has great expertise in some of the things that we are all concerned about in our world today. And so I do welcome uh, him to the show. Thank you very much for being with us, uh, Dr. Stephen Pellick. Welcome. Hey, Laura, it's a pleasure to be back speaking with you. I think it was about a year ago when you were in Ottawa at the Truckers Freedom uh, rally, the last That's time we spoke. Right. Wow. So yeah. it has been about a year, just under a year heading right into that time frame. Right. right. Well, you know, it's been a, an incredible year. You had so much information to share with us then. And I think that I, I you know, I'd like to ask you as uh, an esteemed um, member serving at UBC, you know, one of our uh, greatest universities here in British Columbia. Um, this has been a very difficult year. 2022, nobody is shedding tears over that year passing, and we're hoping for a much better year coming up. But when I describe and look at those death rates and such, I don't know, you know, I'd like to verify the, the source of that, but I don't know what you're seeing or what numbers are telling you. I haven't seen that particular um, survey, but, I can tell you that worldwide, this phenomena is happening, that we're seeing about 15% increased um, all-cause mortality, uh, which is coincident more with the introduction of the vaccines as opposed to during the first year of the pandemic when we didn't have vaccines, the all-cause mortality was almost normal. And then the vaccines came along and then we see this uh, continuing increased all-cause mortality. And at the same time, you were showing the statistics related to the birth rate and the birth rate worldwide has actually declined, which is kind of interesting, especially when you think of all the lockdowns that were happening early on, you might expect the birth rate to go up, but in fact, it, it declined. And there's a couple of reasons why that may be the case, but in, in terms of relating this to the vaccine itself, um, what we're seeing is that when women are vaccinated, and this is confirmed in multiple studies now, and it was anecdotal for the longest time that the periods of women were being affected after they've been just vaccinated. 
but it's statistically analyzed now and published in scientific journals. And basically what we're seeing is a, at least 40% of the women who are vaccinated have either prolonged ble bleeding or excessive bleeding. And even women that are in menopause have had these bleeding episodes. So of course that's gonna affect fertility uh, because of the period at which um, you can have ovulation and a successful fertilization. But at the same time, it turns out the vaccines actually also reduce male fertility. So what we're seeing is a drop of about 15% in males after they've been vaccinated and it slowly recovers. So this drop 15% is in motility, mobility and, and spermatozoa numbers. So there is a recovery. It takes about three months, but that will also affect successful fertilization. And in fact, in the last 30 years, there's been a successive decline in sperm counts and sperm motility and sperm mobility. And so that's cumulative. So it's about a half a percent to 1% per year. But then with the vaccines to see this drop of another 15%, you can certainly understand why actually fertility rates are down. Plus, because stress is another factor. And uh, I think all of these people are wondering whether this is the right time to have children with all of the uh, problems with the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So there's a number of factors that come into play that create a perfect storm. And so we're seeing these increased deaths and decreased births. And, and people, you're right, like people might just be stressed about, you know, what we're seeing. And uh, we've got uh, Davos coming up, which is generally when people get together and, um, you know, have been known to talk about depopulation and how our world has just got too many people in it. And I, I don't know if we feel like it's such a safe place. A lot of people have been traumatized through this. And in British Columbia, we've definitely seen... Um, our suicide rates go up and uh, people struggling with addiction. Uh, th this has been a very bad handling of a bad situation. Yes. Yeah, I concur. I mean, it's the way that it's been handled by the government has actually created more problems than actually solutions. Uh, just bringing up the point that you have about the um, the addictions, the, the, the stress and the anxiety increases substance abuse and we've certainly seen comparable numbers of people that have died increase numbers from what the norms were prior to covid um, with uh, overdoses for example of, of fentanyl that increase that we've seen that you, know, you have about 100 deaths per year in british columbia and typically about uh, three and a half of those deaths would have been due to drug overdose but with COVID-19, it increased um, and the lockdowns to six, six and a half of, of those 100 deaths. And now we have a little bit more than 100 deaths, obviously, from your, your data in BC in 2022 and uh, 2021. So, but Do the we only have vast majority deaths? of the deaths, uh, a day. Oh, a day. A day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, wow, but, I'm pretty but, but sure I hundred deaths. Okay. About 90, 92 of them will be from cancer and, and right. uh, cardiovascular disease normally. Right. You have very few that are actually due to drug overdose. 
Yes. But that number has steadily increased. And it's, again, it's a reflection of the anxiety and depression that uh, people have experienced uh, with the um, lockdowns in particular. Right. So as you've watched this, have, have you had to kind of shake your head um, at, at some of the things that you've seen? If, if you were in charge, if you were the premier of our province, is there some mm -hmm. different decisions you might have made? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Based on everything I've read and, and my personal experience, because, you know, I'm also the president of uh, and chief scientific officer of Connectus Bioinformatics, and we've been running a three-year clinical trial a study now looking at natural immunity and vaccine-induced immunity to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so we could see early on many people already had antibodies against the virus um, before, long before we even started the vaccination program. In fact, I suspect that people that were already had COVID and then turned around and, and then got vaccinated right afterwards may have actually uh, damaged that immunity and were more susceptible to actually being infected with the virus. And, and with the booster shots that's happening now, this is becoming much more obvious that, I mean, I don't think most people don't understand that these RNA vaccines are really very, very different from any of the original traditional vaccines that people get, which are usually uh, heat killed or, 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 or they're attenuated viruses so that they're very weak. And then you're injected and then you get an immune response that's, that will provide you with antibodies that be quite protective. You can also get this from natural exposure and most people recover fairly quickly from an infection. But these uh, RNA vaccines, when you're vaccinated, you're getting tens of trillions of these lipid nanoparticles. Each lipid nanoparticle has about five to 10 copies of the gene to make the spike protein. This is the protein on the surface of the virus that basically your immune system would be able to recognize produce antibodies, for example, that will lock on to that virus, tag it so your immune system can take it out. But from each copy of the gene, the RNA gene, that's in these lipid nanoparticles, you can make hundreds of copies of the spike protein. And so what's really different about these vaccines is that instead of having the actual virus or portions of the virus injected into your body, what you're getting instead is the genetic information so that this can be delivered inside your own body cells and you produce the spike protein on the surface of your own cells. And so in order to get an immune response, you actually have to have your immune cells attack those cells, your own cells that are producing this protein. And then the, the pieces of that debris of the destroyed cell, we call these exosomes, they're taken up by these immune cells, and then those immune cells, macrophages, neutrophils, they go to lymph nodes where you have T cells and B cells, and the B cells are what's producing the antibodies. So in order to have that immune response, you actually have to have destruction of your own tissues. Now, what's really interesting is when you look at Alberta health data that came out in um, 2021, and then it stopped being presented in early 2022, because I think the data, data was pretty damning, it shows you that for your first shot, 
your most likely chance of getting COVID was right after you were vaccinated. And that risk increased for about seven days, remained high, and then came low as your immune system kicks in. Now, you have to wonder, well, why, why do we have this data? Why would you have an increased risk of getting COVID if you've just been vaccinated? And so the explanation is that when you've got these tens of trillions of lipid nanoparticles producing ultimately the spike protein throughout your body, your whatever immune capacity you have that can recognize that virus is actually, it's actually preoccupied or so that it's actually going into your body, but in your lungs and airway spaces where you would be breathing in the virus there is no immune response so or very little immune response so what ends up happening is that the virus can propagate to the point where it can make you sick and you can also disseminate the virus so the, the first two weeks that data in what we call you be considered unvaccinated in fact i, I hate the word unvaccinated because un means that you're undoing something you're you're reversing something but it's better to say you're non-vaccinated. So you will be lumped in with the non-vaccinated class of people for the statistical analyses, which is what's been done in BC. We went up to three weeks after you've been vaccinated, that if you got COVID, then you were considered unvaccinated. And that data is lumped in with the non-vaccinated people. So the, the point is that you eventually will develop an immune response originally lasted about three to six months, but with the booster injections now, we're not establishing immune memory as you would with natural immunity. And so what ends up happening is you, you, you lose your, your immune protection. In fact, you, it appears with the booster shots, after three months or so, you actually have negative efficacy. This means that you're more likely to get infected. So we think this is actually a reflection of a number of different phenomena that are occurring simultaneously. Some of them are is what we call antibody-dependent enhancement, where, where the antibodies are binding to the virus and the cells that take it up, the immune cells, are actually, instead of the immune cells attacking and killing the virus, it's the virus gets inside the immune cells and kills those specific immune cells. So that's with antibody-dependent enhancement. We also have original antigenic sin, which is where what's happening is the immune response that you had against the original Wuhan strain predominates. So when you get variants, you're not making as many of those antibodies that are more able to recognize the variant. And so your immune response is, is reduced. And then we have what we call tolerance, which is where if you um, continually get exposed to an immunogen, in this case, the, the virus proteins, then your body eventually begins to think that this is normal. It's in the environment. So when you, for example, have an allergy, the way you treat the allergy is you give small amounts of the allergen repeatedly, and that then educates your immune system that this is not a threat. So can you imagine a situation where with these lipid nanoparticles, tens of trillions producing thousands of trillions of the spike protein at the same time, from your own body cells, your your immune system thinks, oh, well, this is part of, of me. So they're, they're 
going to downregulate that response. And so what we're seeing is with the booster shots, there's actually a shift in the kind of antibodies that are made from what we call Ig1, 2, and 3 class antibodies to Ig4 class antibodies, which is the development of tolerance. So you're actually reducing the ability of your immune system to recognize the virus when you get infected again in the future. So this is also very problematic. It is. And uh, what you're pointing out is sort of what doctors were screaming from the hilltop um, and getting banned on YouTube and Facebook for talking about and Twitter for that matter. Thank God we've got a bit of reprieve on this. Yeah, no, in fact, uh, much of what we've said and I mean, you you showed uh, an interview, a partial one with uh, Dr. Mahaltra. Now, here's a cardiovascular surgeon that, in, in fact, was a very strong advocate of vaccination. And based on his own personal experience, he's come 180 degrees. So I know a lot of people that that have early on could see that there were problems with these vaccines. You can be hypothetical. But then as we get more and more data, you know, our fears become realized. And so we see like, for example, myocarditis as, uh, as relatively common in younger men. So, so, so the, the issue, sorry. No problem. My phone's on mute, but it's next to the computer. So (laughs) (laughs) rings on the computer. So anyways, so Dr. Malhaltre, he, like I said, he, he, he went around 180 degrees. So I know more and more people that were strong advocates of vaccination early on that actually come full circle now or half circle because they recognize from the data, the scientific data that are the early um, statements that were made about these vaccines was actually unsupported. And in fact, turns out not to be true. So for example, I think we've all heard that these vaccines, we take them because Yes, finally, everybody agrees that even if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID-19. But the argument is made that, well, but you won't be transmitting it. And the symptoms that you have will be more mild. But, but in fact, there is no phase three clinical study that's ever demonstrated that you reduce transmission with these COVID-19 vaccines or that you reduce the symptoms that one gets if you do become infected. The viral load is the same for a person who's been non-vaccinated compared to a vaccinated person. The duration of the illness is about the same. The symptoms are the same. And in fact, in the original phase three clinical trials, they actually saw more adverse reactions uh, in in about a 75% increase in severity of those reactions in the vaccinated cohort compared to the non-vaccinated cohort. Plus, there was actually more deaths in the vaccinated group in the original Pfizer trial than there was in the non-vaccinated. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up, um, doctor, because we actually have a video today. It's number four there on Pfizer vaccine product, how it failed miserably. And uh, why not just, you know, maybe sure. it's a very short video, um, sort of give some some credibility to exactly what you're saying. This is this is what we know. Let's talk about the Pfizer clinical trials. A little known data point that was hidden from us until the fall of um, 2020, 
21 through a FOIA request was the all-cause mortality endpoint. And when you do drug trials, there's endpoints you, you test for, and one of which is known as the all-cause mortality, which is the risk-benefit of the product. And generally speaking, when there's more deaths associated with the vaccine group or the product group versus the placebo group, it doesn't usually get approved by the FDA. Pfizer failed that endpoint. There were uh, 21 deaths in the vaccine cohort and 17 in the uh, placebo cohort. That's a 23% excess death or, you know, 23% more people died in a 28-day period in that group. That should have shut it down right then and there. And it didn't. And uh, when this was, when this became apparent to us in the fall of 2021, I spoke. You know, I still have contacts in the investment world, and I have former colleagues who are healthcare analysts that are now CFOs and CEOs of biotech companies. When they heard that, they were horrified. It's the golden it's the golden rule. You do not uh, push a product that has a risk reward that's adverse at a bare minimum. So, you know, th- this this thing was. Um, a disaster from the get-go, and you know, it's become apparent to me and many others that there was a, a military-grade psyop uh, propaganda campaign that was pushed forth, and it's come out through FOIA requests that the government gave over a billion dollars to mainstream media to push the, the vaccine narrative and um, censor anybody with a counter-narrative, not allow them on their shows. So informed consent at a bare minimum was violated for the whole country and the globe, in my humble opinion. Absolutely tragic. Yeah, Ed, Ed, Ed Dowd, yeah, his his uh, he's correct yes, in terms of those numbers. And, and in fact, as we went on with more clinical trials in order to see that we could give these vaccines to children, the the none of these endpoints were actually whether even prevented uh, going to be hospitalized or, or or deaths, but in the in the children, the endpoint including the original studies, was whether or not you got COVID. Not not necessarily how sick you were or whether you transmitted to someone else. So any health officials that used this concept that these vaccines prevented transmission and prevented you from becoming iller is, is not supported by any scientific data within a controlled study. And so this is uh, this has been very problematic because I think you know we've done surveys and you know the information is available. Um, in fact, from I, I just read one report that was just published about vaccine hesitancy, and so in these studies, what they say is that in Canada, we're about eighty-seven percent of the population has been vaccinated, at least double vaccinated, and so thirteen percent have have not. But when you start to look at um, 22 other countries. You know, Canada is sort of one of the more vaccinated countries in the world. But when you look at the, the, the correlation between where we have the most cases of COVID-19 and deaths per capita, it's actually higher in the countries that are the more vaccinated. And places like in Africa, South, you know, South Africa as a country, they, they have about half of their population is not vaccinated. And they have one of some of the lowest rates of deaths per capita from COVID-19. So the, the question is, in those studies, they say, well, we have 87% of the Canadian population has you know, gotten double vaccinated. But the real question is, 
what percentage of that population in Canada would have gotten vaccinated had they known all the benefits and risks associated with those vaccines? And how many of them got vaccinated because they had to, because their jobs were on the line. You know, they couldn't travel, they couldn't associate with people. And so I suspect that if you actually canvass people in terms of whether they would want to really get this vaccine, I would, I would suspect at this point, most Canadians don't. And in fact, when you look at the, no, the number of people have gotten the fourth shot that can get the fourth shot, you know, this, these, the second booster shot, uh, the, 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 uh, the uptake is very poor. And in fact, a lot of, in, the, in one of the surveys I just saw, uh, it was more national, international, they're finding that of the people that were vaccinated, at least 17% of them would not have gotten vaccinated had they had a choice because of, of these other factors now that they know more about these vaccines. So I think we're, we're seeing vaccine hesitancy. And in response to that, these articles are coming out that are, again, strongly advocating how how effective and how safe these vaccines are. But for example, if you're vaccinating a child, a baby, you know, between the six months to 23 uh, months old, when you look at the actual clinical trial that was done, it's, it's remarkable. The trial was designed to do two shots. And with both shots, there was no, there was no in reduction in COVID cases in the vaccinated group compared to the unvaccinated group of children. There was about 1,500 children. There was, there was about 1,000 of them or so were, were actually vaccinated and 500 were, unvac were non-vaccinated. So bear this in mind. So out of that, what they found was there was two children that got COVID. And we're not even talking about the severity. Nobody was hospitalized. Two children in the in the unvaccinated group or non-vaccinated group, and one child in the vaccinated group. So in that study, the difference of one child, and because you had a slightly larger group, you know, double size of the vaccinated group compared to the non-vaccinated group, that was a an efficacy with the third shot of of 75, 76%. And so what ended up happening was uh, that was the basis for the approval. And then when you look at the two-year-olds to five-year-olds, the difference between the two groups was, was three children between one group and the other group. Again, same justification that was given. And they were, if these children followed the course of the trial, they actually would have been more likely to get COVID with the first shot and the second shot. And the protection that they were measuring of this, this, what we call relative risk reduction, 75% approximately, was actually only after one month after being vaccinated. So we don't even know that it stayed, but we do know from studies that were done of vaccination of five-year-olds to 12-year-olds in the United Kingdom, that the efficacy of those vaccines was very limited. It was only lasted about a month or two. And then they saw by three months they were getting negative efficacy again in these children. So we do not want to be continually vaccinating these children with the, these vaccines for 
you know, again, the reasons I stated earlier in terms of how many lipid nanoparticles are getting producing these spike protein at a time when their immune systems are just getting ramped up to, to switch from what we call a, an adaptive immune system, which, which, uh, which is unlike the innate immune system, which you're born with, that is extremely turned on in children and provides great protection. As you get older, you, you start to develop this adaptive immune system that begins to recognize the pathogens that are in the environment and provides you know, that protection that you don't have to have such an active innate immune system, you know, which is still operational. But all of this, the real problem is that your, your body's immune system is trying to figure out what's self and what's foreign. And when you express in these children now, levels of the spike protein on their own body cells, their immune cell systems are completely confused. So I think this could actually affect their long-term immunity. So this is a may seem hypothetical because we don't have enough data yet to see the effects of, in the long-term on these children, but this is what I would suspect. Wow. Yeah. So, so in effect, what I think that I hear you saying is that like when we keep on uh, vaccinating ourselves, we're, we're really harming our body so that our natural immunity is gone. And what, what's that going to do for people in a year or two? Um, yeah, well, my, my biggest concern right from the start with this technology was whether you would induce autoimmune diseases, right? So the BC Center for Disease Control recently put out a study where they looked at myocarditis in various age groups. And what's very interesting from that data is that, and for some strange reason, they don't present any data with the Moderna vaccine for 12 to 17 year olds, although they do have the data for the Pfizer vaccine. But what we see when you look at the myocarditis, so this is basically a disease where your immune system is attacking your own heart muscle cells. So it could be either the heart itself, which is myocarditis, or it could be the, the peripheral muscle around the heart, which is a pericarditis. So what's happening is if you're a male between ages 12 to um, 24, you're, and actually in this study, they did it to 28. They did eight larger age groups, but in terms of the bins of how they combine the data, they did it to, to 20, I guess it was 29. So what ends up happening is you have a risk of about, I calculated about one in 1600 males with the second shot of the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine will develop myocarditis. Well, that's symptomatic myocarditis. We, most people that get myocarditis don't even know they have it. So it works out that for in studies where you have, uh, look at this carefully, for each symptomatic case of myocarditis, you have about three asymptomatic cases. So the underlying damage to the heart is the same. And of course, when these cardiomyocytes, these muscle cells are killed, they're replaced with scar tissue. This is one of the few cell types like your neurons in your brain that you can't, you know, make more of them to replace them. So what you do to compensate for this injury is that 
you have the scar tissue that's filled with you know, fibroblastic type cells, the surrounding surviving muscle cells have to get bigger. So this results in an enlarged heart. And so when you are stressing uh, very heavy exercise or you're, you're very stressed, some of your, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, and then that's where you have the chances of precipitating uh, a heart attack. You also have this arrhythmia that occurs when you have different regions in the heart, whether you may have the inflammation occurring from the infiltration of these immune cells that are attacking the heart tissue. So you can get a, a heart attack. So this is one of the reasons why we're seeing a lot of athletes that in while they're very active in a practice or more um, obvious when they're actually in a game, we're seeing these collapses. And the rates of these um, collapses that we're seeing is about 10, eight to 10 times higher than what we saw pre-COVID. And so we're gonna see a lot more of this happening, and especially as we get more booster shots. So here's the thing. If you've been vaccinated, if you've already had COVID, you've got antibodies response. Once you've had one or two shots of the vaccine, you have a fairly decent still immune response. You still have antibodies. So when you get your, your, your additional shots, especially soon after you've either had COVID or you've been vaccinated before and your antibody levels are high, then you express this massive amounts of the spike protein. So now you have a very, very active immune system that will be much more destructive in, in attacking those tissues that are producing this uh, spike protein. And what we know from work um, that uh, Byron Bridal, for example, uncovered looking at the Japanese um, medicines agency uh, data that was provided by Pfizer. And by the way, this data was provided to the European Medicines Agency and to the FDA and to Health Canada. So everybody had the data in terms of these regulatory agencies. Basically, it shows that when you're vaccinated within 20, well, within two days, that vaccine has spread throughout the entire body, probably within minutes. And it, and it goes to the liver, it goes to the spleen, it goes to the adrenal glands, it goes to the ovaries, which might explain in part some of the, the effect on periods. Um, it also uh, goes through the blood-brain barrier. It goes into uh, milk now, you know, breast milk. The lipid particles can actually be found in breast milk. So it basically travels everywhere in the body. And now that some pathologists have started to look at people who have died, I think there's a, one case I saw recently of a, a gentleman that died of Parkinson's disease, but he had not had COVID. And yet when they examined in his brain, they did um, what we call immunohistochemistry, they could find that actually the spike protein was being produced in this person's brain. And it was also in his heart, the actual spike protein itself being produced. And they could visualize immune cells that were clustered around those regions, demonstrating that it was an inflammatory reaction at those sites. So the, the data is there. Uh, the real question in the minds of, I would say most of my colleagues is, is this very common or is it something that's very rare? But if you have a, a 
disease where you are statistically showing that in the order of one in even 5,000 males that are vaccinated with the second shot are getting symptomatic myocarditis, this is completely unacceptable. And the argument has been made, well, if you get COVID-19, you can get myocarditis. But when you start to look at the actual statistics and studies that are now published, you're about 10 times more likely to get myocarditis that's symptomatic from the, the vaccine than you actually are from the uh, virus itself if you get COVID-19. So there, there's, no, there's no cost benefit, you know, risk benefit ratio, especially with the low risks of deaths that occur in people under 49 even, that can justify that they should get vaccinated because they're not reducing the severity of the disease. They're not preventing themselves from getting the disease and they're not preventing the transmission of the disease. So as a consequence, and this is what, what really I find fascinating, even if you don't believe what I have to say, which I can certainly justify from the literature, think about the fact that regulatory agencies in, in, in Finland, in, in uh, basically Norway, Sweden, Denmark, United Kingdom, Australia, Germany, they are no longer recommending vaccination of children for COVID-19, you know, under age 12. Right. And in some places like Denmark, they don't even recommend vaccination for anyone now who's under 49. And in Florida, for example, under, under uh, 40. So likewise in Australia. So these are regulatory agencies that are seeing the same data that I am, and they're coming to the same conclusions and yet here in British Columbia and the rest of Canada, you know, we're, we're gung-ho about vaccinating six-month-old babies. It just defies um, explanation. And, and it, it's, um, you know, Dr. Teresa Tam has to answer for that, her and her safe well, and She has an videos. answer for that. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's, it's the most absurd thing that I've, I've seen actually yes. from from uh, Public Health Canada. So she has a publication that just came out that was published in a Public Health Canada journal. And she's made the argument, she's a co-author on the, on the publication, that had they not introduced the, the measures that they had done, which includes the vaccination, that we would have had in Canada 800,000 more deaths in Canada. Now we had about 52,000 deaths in Canada so far. And the argument is that actually half of those deaths were actually due to not COVID, but these people had comorbidities and they died with COVID. And I think that's pretty accepted. So, you know, we're looking, the first year of the pandemic, there were no vaccines. And, and yet, the claim of 800,000 deaths, and again, we're looking about 20, somewhere around 26,000 deaths probably from COVID, that we would have had 800,000 deaths. That's more deaths than Canadians that had died in World War I, that died from the 1918 influenza pandemic and World War II put together. And this is all from modeling 
And this is the same modeling that guided health policy in Canada for the last couple of years. They completely ignored natural immunity in that equation. They recognize now that pretty much all in our own study that we did, we found more than 90% of people who tested, even in the first year, had antibodies against the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So, so this natural immunity was completely factored out. We didn't recognize it with vaccine passports. It wasn't used in any of the modeling to anticipate how the disease would progress. And, and they used a parameter that assumed that the death rate for the population on the whole was 1%, that if you got infected with COVID, that 1% of those people would die from it. Now, of course, that includes people at high risk, very elderly people, people with comorbidities. But, but the reality is that when we look, especially with even at that time, maybe, maybe um, three in a thousand people would have died had they been infected with the virus. That's based on, on the entire population. The reality is that if you're you know, young and healthy, uh, your risks are, you know, for, for a child from actually dying from COVID is probably one in a hundred thousand to one in a million, right? But an elderly person will be a much higher risk. So the actual rate that we're seeing now for 2022 is closer to about one in a thousand, including those people at very, very high risks. So when you start to use that information in your modeling, it completely changes the models. So we're seeing much higher risks now from the vaccines than we're actually seeing from COVID-19 for the general population. Now, if you may argue with me, well, no, these vaccines are very safe. Well, the VARES system, this vaccine adverse event reporting system, VARES, it's been operational for over 30 years. They have actually more than uh, 30,000 deaths recorded associated with the vaccines in that system from the United States alone, never mind other countries. And if you take all of the, the reported injury cases, whether mild or severe, hospitalizations, uh, the deaths, there are more deaths in the last you know, two years in the VAERS system and all these other parameters for the three vaccines they approved in the US. Now they didn't do the Johnson and Johnson's vaccine because uh, that was, uh, didn't meet the criteria. We have in Canada, they, out, they, they didn't use it in about 12 different European countries originally. So anyways, based on just those three vaccines, if you take the other 80 plus vaccines for that have been developed over the last 30 years with all the case reports over 30 years and you put that together, it's, 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 it's less than just those three vaccines in the last two years with uh, COVID-19 vaccines. So the, the, the safety signals are clear. And it's not just the VAR system, it's the United Kingdom yellow card system. It's the European Medicine Agency's uh, vaccine reporting system. It's the World Health Organization's Visi Access, which again does this tracking back 30 years. So as time goes on, it becomes even more and more of these adverse reports 
with the COVID-19 vaccines. So pretty soon, I would imagine over another year, more than 75% of all reported cases of vaccine injury and deaths from vaccines will be happening from just these COVID-19 vaccines. It's, it's, it's truly astounding. It is astounding. And um, doctors being silent still. Uh, we have Bill yes. 36 here in British Columbia um, that right. looks to be very concerning. Well, I would be concerned for a number of reasons because, you know, what's happened with Bill 36, for those of you that aren't aware, this is a bill where we had, a, I think it was around uh, 15 different colleges for, you know, college for physicians and surgeons and for chiropractors and, and these other groups, all these health professionals, it's all been consolidated into basically, um, I believe six colleges with more minister of health control over those colleges. And Bonnie Henry's mandate that I really started in June of last year is that she expects that every healthcare professional, whether you're a psychologist or you're a chiropractor or acupuncturist, that you must be vaccinated against COVID-19. And now the universities, because we are training people to go into these healthcare professions, we're now making it a requirement for those students that they must be vaccinated against COVID-19. And then as I've explained, there are very low risks of COVID-19 themselves, but they are at higher risks in case of myocarditis. You know, and then myocarditis is just one of over a thousand different diseases that have been linked associated with these vaccines, you know, Julian Barr disease and, 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 and thrombosis, and the list just goes on. Like now we're, we're taking, and this is my point, we're taking our health professionals, the ones that are the most likely to have gotten COVID-19 first and get actually strong immunity that's natural immunity. And we're taking those people that don't wanna be vaccinated and we're taking them out of the system. We fired thousands of healthcare workers. And now we wanna bring in people who commit to being vaccinated with the risks of injury. And of course, we've all heard about how difficult it is to, to run our hospitals because there's such a high rate of sickness amongst the staff. So now we're putting not only the healthcare workers at risk, but we're putting at risk our entire population because whether you have cancer or diabetes or some other disease, th these people aren't gonna be there or they're not gonna be you know, um, as, as alert and, and fit to treat the people that are coming into these places. So it's potentially could create this huge disaster in our system. And again, we're seeing these cases of all-cause mortality. Again, one of the explanations can also be that people aren't getting their proper um, health care. They're not seeing their doctors as regularly. Now they don't even want to necessarily go to the hospital because there's a higher chance of actually getting COVID in those environments or other diseases. So the whole system is really um, very fragile. And so now what we're seeing, for example, and I think this is a really interesting case. 
So I think we're all hearing about how for pediatric cases for, for children that we're being overwhelmed in our hospitals here. Well, you know, the whole logic of the vaccination program and, and the measures that were taken was to flatten the curve. I think we all remember early on, we were going to flatten the curve so we didn't overwhelm the healthcare system. So what happened was we had perhaps delayed many people from getting COVID that would have developed natural immunity and got that herd immunity up in our population earlier. But we also had a situation where the number of cases of influenza and respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, were actually at, at, at record lows. And so what we did was we had a period of three years, basically, where we actually delayed children from getting these diseases. And then in the last flu season, it's catch-up time. So we actually concentrated the cases for those diseases and overwhelmed our hospitals and the pediatrics in particular. Most people don't realize that it, when you look at RSV, 97% of children get RSV within two, their first two years. And it's, it's, it's actually mild in most children. When you look at the number of deaths that occur from RSV, we're talking between maybe 50 to 100 or more in the entire United States a year. And for influenza, again, the risks are higher for children with influenza than for COVID-19, but still it's, it's really low. And so when you say, well, what can we do about this? Well, there is no vaccine for RSV. In the case of, of uh, influenza, right now the predominant influenza is H3N2. For this particular strain, which is the more common one that causes more severe symptoms, the vaccines that are available are only about 30% relative risk reduction. They're not that efficacious, but somehow we managed to, to pull through with those. So many of these children, they will become sick. Some of them maybe need to be hospitalized, but they will recover. Very, There'll be very, very few deaths in children from these uh, particular viruses. And of course, COVID-19 cases in children has really declined because most of them have natural immunity until they destroy it by getting vaccinated. Right. And and this, um, in comparison to some, like we have, um, we have a graph from in Japan, there seems to be some confusion amongst some scientists. The rate of deaths of the elderly has increased despite many of those elderly having taken third, fourth, and even their fifth booster shots. Right. So um, all That's of this is showing expected. exactly what you're saying. Yeah, this is this is completely expected. And uh, this is this this is really um, very unfortunate that there has been this tendency on the part of medical doctors. And, and the thing you have to understand, when you're a medical doctor, your training is really all about diagnosing and treating based on on established protocols. They're not the ones that are actually developing these. So, so, you know, understanding the underlying mechanisms of disease and developing the drugs, this is really done by scientists, uh, PhD scientists that are in universities that are, are immunologists, virologists, biochemists and the like. And so, so we do 
try to find better ways to diagnose, try to understand how these viruses replicate. Are there ways that we can intervene with drugs to prevent that? Understanding how the immune system works. The immune system is extremely complex. It works beautifully. It doesn't, it's not gonna be 100%, but it provides a great protection for most of us. You have to remember that our ancestors, where these immune systems were developed, you know, through evolution, we existed, you know, in forests, you know, we were drinking dirty water, we, we had parasites everywhere, we had viruses everywhere. And our immune systems have developed to become very protective of us. Uh, there's risks for the most elderly and for the very young. But again, we have these innate immune system working in, in babies. Unfortunately for the elderly, they have more, we live longer than our ancestors did, but they're also sedentary lifestyles. We don't go out. We have to actually continually expose ourselves to these viruses and ah. bacteria and fungi and keep our immune system tuned up. That's so, so that when a real threat comes, we can actually deal with it. Yeah, because we so didn't do many that, of these elderly did we? people have no immune systems. Right. We we kept all our uh, elderly locked in. We kept ourselves locked in. In fact, uh, preventing right. and you know little kids uh, like just you know three years of being living a lot differently. And I remember always wanting to get my dad out. You know, um, yeah. Just I just had a innate um, sense that that he'd be fine. You know, and he did get COVID. And the only thing that almost killed him was the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing, you know, you've got these patients that are in these um, extended care units or hospitals or nursing homes, and they're not allowed to see their families, even when they're sick, especially, and when they're dying. And many of these elderly people, you know, they, the psychological trauma that they're experiencing many of them just won't take it. So, you know, they're going to be screaming out They're They're going to be problematic for the healthcare workers to deal with. So they sedate them. And a lot of these people are over sedated and that itself can actually trigger deaths. But when you look at COVID-19, most of the deaths that have occurred with COVID-19 wasn't actually from the virus itself by that point it was actually pneumonia. And interestingly, we didn't, prescribe as much of the antibiotics that might have been helpful for these people in those stages. And even the most effective treatments that we seem to have, apart from some very expensive monoclonal antibodies that are directed against the SARS-CoV-2 virus and some of the newer drugs, which again, when you start to see how well they work, still things like dexamethasone is, is actually the first line of defense and that's an immune suppressant because the problem is that by the time you're in hospital, you're having what we call a cytokine storm. And this is actually resulting in basically your entire immune system being like turned on and you get all this kind of um, a swelling and it makes it harder to breathe. And, and so it's actually not the virus itself that's causing the problem by that point when they're hospitalized, it's actually the overactive immune system. And then, this increased amount of um, uh, secretions that are being produced to try to cleanse out the lungs and that they can also clog up the lungs and people have trouble breathing. Then you force tubes down their throats. 
the development of oxygen at very high, you know, um, pressure. So now you start to dry out certain parts of the lungs. And so it's just a, it's just a recipe for disaster. And so a lot of the elderly have succumbed to that. And uh, again, putting these people when they have COVID-19 in these nursing homes, locking them into these nursing homes it, with an aerosol borne virus, and that you just spread it to everybody else. Yeah. So it, it, it was, they became killing zones. And, really. then, and I guess the masks don't work because, you know, so many of the elderly died and they had them sitting there in their wheelchairs, pictures, you know, with them with their masks on. Yeah, the masks, the masks don't work, unfortunately. You don't have to do too much research on this one. Yes. There is very good studies that have come out that show, for example, that their control was using a cloth mask versus an N95 mask. And basically there's no difference in the occurrence of, uh, of, of uh, COVID-19 in these kind of controlled studies. In larger studies that were done, there was really no benefit of wearing a mask. Now, we knew this early on because the, the influenza virus, it's about uh, 150 microns in size. Um, sorry, 100 microns in size. 100 microns in size in, in its diameter. So a micron is a millionth of a, of a, of a meter. So, so when you look at the SARS-CoV-2 virus, it's pretty much the same size. So you have identical size viruses, pretty much. They're aerosol-borne. Aerosol they're, they're, they infect people because they breathe it in, in these little, little tiny droplets. And so what ends up happening is when you look at the use of masks, in influenza pandemics, they've never been a show, so shown to actually be protective. In fact, Health Canada has has publications that they put out 20 years ago that that basically state that there's that once you have a pandemic, the use of masks is is useless. And so that was updated. Uh, I think the last time was around 2016. And in the documents, again, to deal with an influenza pandemic, they basically mention the word masks about twice in the entire document. And they're basically saying that, that there's no evidence that they actually work. So, so we knew from data from decades of research, the masks don't work for influenza. There is no compelling reason why they should work for SARS-CoV-2. And when you start to look at the pore size, of the masks, even N95, those those basically will will um, the size of the pores relative to the size of the virus, or even the small droplets that these viruses are on, it's like a mosquito going through a chain link fence. It 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 will not prevent the entry of the, of the virus in and out. And of course, when you're wearing these masks day in and day out, what happens is when you breathe. The concentration of oxygen in the air around is about 21%. But when you breathe in that air and then you breathe out the carbon dioxide that your body cells have produced, the concentration of oxygen in the air you breathe out is between 14 to 16%. But when you wear that mask, you're obstructing the flow of air. So even though these are very small molecules, just because of airflow issues, you're rebreathing oxygen that's at you know 16 percent 
mixed in with a little of the oxygen at 21%. So when you're wearing that day in, day out, and especially when you're very active, you're producing more carbon dioxide. So you're getting less oxygen into your brain. And so that your brain cells need oxygen. And if they don't get it, then you, you get brain fog and maybe even, even ultimately damage if it's, if it's prolonged. And meanwhile, when you do this with little kids that are very active, they're basically going around where everybody, they can't read their faces. There's all kinds of developmental issues, especially in very, very young babies growing up that, that there's, there's neural pathways being laid in their brain that allows face recognition. And if you don't establish those pathways at the right times, then you can't recreate that later. So there's, there's permanent potential brain damage from having a child constantly around and wearing masks, never seeing smiles. So you can imagine the, the psychological inputs of that as well. So it's, it's really a, a complex problem and it's understandable why this ultimately is leading to, I, I can only imagine the psychological damage that we've done to kids in the last few years yeah. from the lockdowns and the wearing of these masks. Because the, the masks have not been protective for them. They still got COVID. The good news is that most of them had no symptoms of the COVID, but they have natural immune protection. Mm -hmm. But what can you do to protect them against this, uh, these, these lockdowns and, and this fear constantly? Because you know, these masks, they kind of act a bit like virtue signaling that, you know, I'm concerned about you, so I'm wearing a mask. Right. So, but, but the problem is, it also sends other messages at the same time that there's a threat around every corner. And that psychologically is very damaging, especially to young children. Yeah. I actually told a lady at a restaurant, uh, you know, because I, uh, the mask mandate had, had left, uh, we could walk in and sit down, but they were forcing their, um, the waitresses to continue yeah. to wear the masks. And I said, well, would you just let management know that it's really annoying? And you're just reminding yeah. me of everything we've been through and I don't need you to wear a mask. In fact, exactly. it's just a, a huge reminder. So like, stop it, you know? Yeah. Well, there's going to see if you have more people, they have to be aware of what the benefits of wearing these masks are and what the risks are. Right. And fortunately the requirements for mask wearing is, is, is really long gone from public health officials. Uh, they may insist in a hospital setting. Um, the The argument has been made that, well, you know, let's say you're a surgeon. Why is it? Why is it that surgeons, for example, when they're operating on a person, they're all wearing masks? So, so the idea is that, well, this is this is basically to protect the 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 person and the surgeons, you know, from let's say if this person's got a, a disease or something that's an infectious disease. But actually the, the main reason for wearing those masks is really for very large particles of, you know, like when you're, blood when you're, looking, yeah, yeah, it could, be, it could be blood. Food. It could be, it could be like um, large droplets that, that come when, you know, from people, but these things spatter everywhere. So it's just a standard, protective technique, but it's not really protecting them from viruses. Mm -hmm. 
the viruses, most of them can go right through these masks. Yes. So, but we're getting kind of the wrong message about um, the protection that's being afforded by the masks. Right. And it may be people who in fact are infected that really should be staying home if they don't want to transmit this. And they think, well, by wearing this mask, I'm, I'm not going to give it to other people, but, but, but you are going to give it to other people. Right. And, and wearing it doesn't mean that you're going to be protected from other people. And that it's, should be proof. All these senior citizens yeah. who died, everyone wearing masks around them, all in a, you know, no one's allowed to visit. And uh, still, we had these people dying of it. The last thing I wanted to run past you is that uh, Sweden is basically, um, that Sweden, they are not confused at all. They are not pulling yeah. any punches and are warning of the dangers of COVID vaccines. And that's right out loud and seems to be in their mainstream media. And I think some of this is kind of encouraging. And I hope that you're encouraged because you've been ahead of the game. You've been spearheading the information, uh, getting out there and not afraid to talk about it, which is just so very courageous. I can't tell you uh, how many people watching right now are just so thrilled that there's somebody willing to speak the truth because we're looking for those voices because we know something's wrong and uh, you've yep. been that person, but it's good to see parts of the world um, are coming around. And even this BBC, you know, clip that we showed earlier. And I, yeah, you know, I know yeah, well, two, two comments on that one, one, as you point out that in fact, public health regulatory officials are recognizing this. In fact, I think most people that work in those agencies uh, that are involved in, in approving drugs, in this case, approving vaccines, yeah. they, they, they're not dumb. They know their business, but they are being, being politically controlled, I think, at the upper levels in those, those agencies. So I think that's going on, a lot of political interference. Yes. The second thing is, you know, I'm the co-chair of the scientific and medical advisory committee of the Canadian COVID care Alliance. And, you know, we have over 600 medical doctors and, um, uh, scientists and other health professionals in the organization, along with the other, uh, we have about another 1100 members. And so we go through weekly, the scientific literature and, and the committee that I chair co-chair, we actually have 36 members on that committee. And we're in constant communication daily for what comes out in the literature. And we're all, you know, we're scientists, most of us. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, so much of what I've said yourself. to you about what these um, members of my committee, uh, yep. this, this Scientific and Medical Advisory Committee of Canadian Co-Care Alliance, we go through all this literature and what I'm telling you today reflects the overall um, uh, discussion points and where we're at as a committee. And many of those members, uh, in fact, what we're doing now is on the Canadian COVID care website, we are going to be presenting the identities of most of the people that are on our committee, because at this stage, uh, many of us have been so outspoken anyways that 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 anonymity and the concern about protecting their jobs and reputations uh we're we're going right out on the line so 
what I've told Excellent. you, it's not just me. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot of other scientists in Canada, of course, also worldwide. So good. So good. And that's what we need. And we are just so very grateful for your courage uh, and all that you're standing up for and speaking it so boldly. Uh, I could just listen to you for hours. I just thank you for giving us uh, so much time. Uh, let's do this again. I'm sure that 2023 is going to be a fascinating year. A lot more information coming out. A lot more well, I, I would be information. optimistic for 2023. I think that a lot of what the public health officials have tried to pull isn't going to be as easily doable anymore. Right. Because at the end of the day, the truth prevails. Science is self-correcting. Uh, if information that's been out there is incorrect, it, it will be vetted further. And in fact, we'll get a much better sense of what's going on. If we understand the problems better, we can come up with better solutions. So at the very least, unfortunately, a lot of people have to suffer and, and in many cases die because of this. But ultimately, I think our systems will improve and hopefully we won't have a repeat of what's just happened over the last three years. 100%. We're not going to be that stupid ever again. And uh, you were never one of those uh, crazy people, but but some of us, uh, you know, believed it at first. I wasn't either, but um, you know, now we're all a lot smarter, and we're going to be handling things a little bit different. You can't—they're not going to be able to pull the wool over our eyes the same way they did. There's too much good information and too many great experts like yourself speaking out. It's making a huge difference. Please give you our thanks to the 600 doctors that are working with you and that are. Um, you know, courageously going. Well, thank, thank you, Laura Lynn, for actually providing the, the platforms where we have the opportunity to get this information out because the Excellent. mainstream media, it's been pretty much bought and it's very difficult for even reporters that, that know this stuff and they try to get these stories out. Again, their senior managers aren't letting this information come out. Yep. And so, but you can't suppress the truth. No. So eventually we will all know what's going on. We will. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much today for thank this you. incredible. We have a huge um, group on, on Rumble today. A lot of people there. They've obviously moved over from YouTube. And, uh, and if they can't find us on Facebook, they're going to find us on Rumble. And so they're all watching you and everyone appreciates you so much. Thank you, Dr. Pellick. We'll talk to you again. Thank you, Lorelyn. Take care. Fantastic. That is a hero in our nation. And I appreciate people like that just willing to put it out there. Um, can you imagine, you know, with his position, it's just incredible. And we need truth tellers. Obviously, obviously we can look around and see that something's very wrong with all of the deaths that we're seeing, the sudden adult death syndrome. Oh, making it normal almost that, you know, every second day we're hearing about, you know, somebody having a cardiac arrest somewhere. Um, other things going on in the United States, Speaker McCarthy uh, speaks on Representative Eric Swalwell, previously being on the Intel Committee and the Security um, of America. Now, this is fascinating. Is this the guy that slept with Fang Fang? Uh, the Chinese spy. Okay, <laughs> let's have a look. If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. And you're going to tell me other Democrats couldn't fill that slot? He cannot get a security clearance in the private sector. 
So would you like to give them a government clearance? You asked me questions about Santos. You asked the questions about Swalwell. Not only was he getting a clearance, he was inside an intel committee. He had more information than the majority of all the members. Did you ever raise that issue? No, but you should have. You're going to tell me there's 200 other Democrats that couldn't fill that slot, but they kept him on it? The only way that they even knew it came forward is when they went to nominate him to the Intel Committee. And then the FBI came and told the leadership then, he's got a problem. And they kept him on. That jeopardized all of us. Adam Schiff openly lied to the American public. He told you he had proof. He told you he didn't know the whistleblower. He put America for four years through an impeachment that he knew was a lie. At the same time we had Ukraine, at the same time we had Afghanistan collapse. Was that the role of the Intel Committee? No. So what I am doing with the Intel Committee, bringing it back to the jurisdiction is supposed to do, forward looking to keep this country safe, keep the politics out of it. So yes, I'm doing exactly what we're supposed to do. You sure are. Yep, you sure are. And you know, uh, Tucker Carlson just said last night, if you're going to sleep with a Chinese spy and give them special access to, you know, your office and have keys for all kinds of things, and they're an actual Chinese spy and you've never denied it because you can't, then um, nope, you don't get to be somebody who can handle classified data or know anything about it. And adios, I don't even know why this guy's anywhere in the picture. He's completely betrayed our country. I don't get it at all. Um, well, in the United States. So I'm American and Canadian, so I'm, I'm always mad at everyone who's hurting anyone in these places. So there's a robot uh, police dogs uh, are spotted in New York City. Oh, in DC. Okay, so what is this about? What are robot dogs doing? Take a look. Oh, wow. That is something. <laughs> are, are standard pedestrians just walking right past them? Weird, eh? Can they bite? This is turning, it really is a psyop. Like it's going to be a, a movie, a science fiction movie, but it'll actually be our lives. But what I'm wondering is when do we get that little um, helicopter like the Jetsons had where we just whip up and head, head to the mall? Wouldn't that be fun? I am looking forward to that day where we just, you know, we don't have to get in the car anymore. We just go, we can go wherever we want. But imagine if you're a bad driver then. It's pretty bad if it's a mid-air collision because then you got to fall as well, not just the bang. We, we all survive, a, you know, a car crash here or there. But are we going to survive the 200-meter fall? I don't know. So maybe it's not time for that yet. Okay, couple more things before we go. Is Klaus Schwab telling us that a cyber attack is planned in the future? What do you think? Pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack.
My husband says he is a legit Bond villain, right? James Bond, I'm James Bond, and this is my, you know, the my arch nemesis, Klaus Schwab. I mean, he wears these outfits that make him look like that, you know, so scary, the way he talks, you know. It's just a scary, scary little man, and the way that he thinks, and all, all of this is just, can you believe what's happening in, the, in those dogs? I, I just... It is turning into a crazy thing. Okay, we got one more funny little thing to present to you. Just, um, you know, Biden basically um, driving his Corvette around. And his Corvette that's stored in a garage, along with highly classified documents. Go back to the manufacturer and say, hey. Oh, man. So for those of you who haven't heard and maybe, you know, not paying any attention to what's going on south of the border, uh, three different clusters of confidential, top secret documents found in different places, including Biden's garage. Uh, of course, he feels good about it because his his Corvette was stored there and his Corvette's safe. I mean, he's not going to leave your Corvette not being you know, well secured. So the, the documents clearly must be secure. Uh, we'll see how everyone handles this. I think that it's becoming an embarrassment, such an embarrassment that they may have to actually do something about it. The other interesting um, sort of scenario that might be coming forth, and Tucker Carlson painted this well, is that every time somebody asks Joe Biden if he's going to run again, he says, yeah, he's really thinking about it. I mean, you've got to be hearing a collective gasp and, you know, eyes rolling in their head as they just stare forward. But inside, their eyes are rolling because uh, Joe Biden has to have his cue cards, stand here, sit here, just leave off to stage left. He usually ends up going stage right and he goes the wrong way. His wife has to lead him around by his hand. Everyone treats him like, you know, somebody that's in the senior citizen's home and, um, there, the, the thing is, you shouldn't be the leader of the most powerful country in the world if we can consider the United States that any longer with all the money and all of the weaponry that they're giving away to everyone else right now. Um, clearly, he's not functioning. So I don't know what to make of all of this, except this is just a huge joke. So what if they're kind of going, well, listen, we got to give... Joe a little kick because just like they did to Cuomo in New York City, uh, we, you know, they don't like this guy anymore. He's not serving the Democratic Party, so they don't take the, dem, the, the party down, but they'll take a person. They always sacrifice a person to get rid of the person. So maybe that's what it is. My name is Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. My website is lauralynn.tv. Thank you very much to everybody. Um, it's a little bit quiet out there in donation land. I guess, you know, you're you're paying your, your um, you know, get making sure you got your donations in in December, but um, that's okay. Thank you very much to all of you who are supporting us and who care about this kind of work. We get up every day with a mission to bring you the truth, the truth that you won't see on other networks, and I appreciate you so much. JT, didn't I send you something that I wanted to read on air yesterday? Yeah. 
Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can find that. Oh, one of you sent me something so nice. And um, viewer, we we're going to call this like a viewer. Oh. Yeah, where is it? Is it yesterday or? Oh, okay. I'm still in today's and I'm like down 200. This is why I can't get through my emails, obviously, because there's, you know, so many every day and I can't get to all of them. So I'm going to leave that up to Shane now. So if you don't hear from me, it's probably Shane's fault. Um, and I will be blaming him. So <laughs> there you go. Do you see it? Oh, it's so nice. All right. Meanwhile, everyone's just hanging You see it? You see it? Okay. And um, so anyways, if you ever wonder where we are, like today we're not on Facebook. Everybody's over there going, oh, maybe she's not doing anything today. And sometimes I come back and then everyone says, um, they, they say, oh, you've been gone so long. Thanks for coming back. I missed you so much. No, no, I was here the whole time on Rumble. All right, BitChute, uh, Odyssey, Twitter. We go live to Twitter every day. Even if you were just on Twitter, you'd be able to find me there. So this lady, beautiful, lovely, lovely. She says, I look forward to your talks every day. I now have my own Bible and I read from it. And honestly, there is no other show that reveals so much truth and harm that the government is doing to us. I hope God keeps us safe. It's people like you who are trying to keep us advised um, as we all have to keep our heads above water right now. God will pull us out. Absolutely. And that's from Debbie. Thank you very, very much. It was just a joy to my heart to get that note. And I get many notes from you all. So I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. If you want to know where to invest possibly some of your funds, if you've got some cash and you'd like to invest it, we do recommend gold and silver. It's, um, solid, you know, um, it's, something you can actually keep and hold in your hand. That's important. And um, we recommend Steve Merrill, uh, Sovereign Eyes at ProtonMail.com. Thank you very much. Oh, so let's go to something soothing, shall we? Is there something soothing? <laughs> wow. I'm going to go to Psalm 65 today. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. Build. you who answer our prayers to you all people will come when we were overwhelmed by sins you forgave our transgressions blessed are those you choose to bring near to live towards I I really like that blessed are those you choose you know that you're chosen if you're actually watching this show and you're not Satanist, um, and you're not sacrificing animals while watching, um, but you're actually a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're a seeker of truth, you're chosen. He knows you by name. He's counted the hairs on your head. He knows exactly what you're going through, what you're feeling. In fact, he knows every word that you're going to say before you say it he knows the thoughts that are in your heart and in your mind because you are chosen by him you're chosen to be here on the planet right now yes in the worst psyop we've ever been through and 
probably some of the most stressful times as an awakening is happening. And is that awakening happening? I was on a Zoom call today for a couple of hours with some of my favorite people. They are leaders from across the country. Beautiful people, trailblazers in fact. And we all felt that same message that God is with the righteous, that he is going to protect us and keep us, that it's a time to remain humble in heart, repentant before God for anything that we might do, repentant for sometimes having been so ignorant in the past, but also some of the attitudes that we might feel right now. Always keep a clean slate before the Lord. I find myself pretty annoyed by people and leaders. But God wants us to know that, that justice is in His hands, not ours. And He will repay what the evil have done. We can trust Him. We are filled with the good things of your house and of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the fairest, farthest seas. You form the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. You stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. There is turmoil. When you think about him being the hope to the ends of the earth for all nations, for Sweden, who's now coming out telling the truth, for Japan, experiencing some terrible results after what they've done for Australia with hospitalizations and death counts. We go over all of it, but God is a God who's watching what we're going through. For him that has eyes to see, for her that has ears to hear, let them see and let them hear the salvation of our God. One thing for sure, is great and he's with us have a great weekend see you next time you know it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing but for some of us we feel that we have no choice because if we are silent about these abominable things then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that for those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement I am deeply grateful thank you for all the letters that you've been sending Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.